the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, everybody. Ron Geyer with more End Time Insights. Thank you always for tuning in. We appreciate it. We've been talking about the warnings, or actually the four times in Scripture where Jesus tells the disciples to beware. You know, it's six or seven times, but sometimes it's the same thing. Like sometimes he tells them to beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and other times he tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. So, but basically, it's four different times. The first one, he told them, beware of men. He said, beware of false prophets and teachers. He said, beware of leaven, false doctrine. And today, we're finishing up, beware of covetousness. And the base scripture, Luke twelve fifteen, and Jesus said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesses. And I stop it there because it's important that you understand. He tells you your life does not consist of what you own. And I know in America, in the materialistic society that we become, we fall in love with these things. Oh, I love my new car. Oh, I love my radio. I love my new dress. Come on. No, we don't. These are inanimate objects. They are not capable of receiving love. Neither are you capable, or you shouldn't be, of giving love to inanimate objects. Remember, the purpose of love is to build relationships. That's why God so loved the earth. He so loved the world. He wanted to have a relationship with the people of the earth. And it's important that we do not attach our love, our desires, our affections to the things of the materialistic world. The word there for beware is blepo, B-L-E-P-O. It means to take care, to take heed, to see. In this use, it has a spiritual connotation behind it, meaning to have spiritual understanding, have a discernment. And that's our problem in the church today because we lack discernment. We are largely carnal. Things of the Spirit are hidden from all but a few of us. One can't eat carnally all day with just a spiritual snack here and there and expect to have insight into the realm of the Spirit. So when Jesus says, take heed or beware, That's pretty aggressive. It's an aggressive approach to the watching out that he wants us to do. Passivity is not going to work here. Basically, he is saying, living in this present evil world, covetousness is on the prowl. It will hunt you down. And when the Lord ministered that to me, I was reminded of the adulteress in Proverbs. It talks about uh, the adulteress in Proverbs 6.26. The adulteress will hunt for the precious life. And, you know, often in the kingdom of God, living in this fallen world, living in this wicked and perverse generation, we do play defense. And it's okay to play defense. God has given us the armor. He's given us defensive weapons. 
You know, one of the things I was thinking about the other day, it's in Ephesians where it talks about take unto you the whole armor of God, uh, take unto you the uh, breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith, whereby you may be able to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. And the shield of faith, basically the Romans in those days, the armies, their shields were wood and they wrapped them in leather and they put the leather in water and they shrunk it so that it was tight. And it was pretty, pretty good. It was a good defense. But what they did before battle, they actually put the leather, they put the shields back in the water. And the phrase that Paul uses, that you may quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. When the leather was wet and you got arrows thrown at you because the leather was wet, it would quench the fiery darts. And that's the analogy that Paul's talking about. And once again, he's talking about Christians playing defense, and that just brought my mind over to that thinking. But back to beware of covetousness. Look to whom the solemn warning by Jesus was given. It was written to the 12 disciples. Jesus had to warn even them. And if he had to warn even them, what does that leave us? These were men who left everything for the cause, men who walked with Christ daily. They too were subject to the evil of religious leaven. If they were subject to this danger, think how susceptible today's modern Christian is. And think about the fact that we're a carnal bunch of Christians, too. So we're open to all of these attacks. And thank the Lord that he gave us warnings ahead of time that we'd be able to see where they come from. And not only did he do that, but he gave us defensive weapons. He gave us defensive armament. And he gave us insight into how these things would attack us. Galatians 5.16. This I say then. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So there you have it right there. Okay, covetousness is a lust of the flesh. Remember the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the pride of eyes, all these things. They are attractions from the world to the Christian. You're a spirit being. Your life is hidden in Christ. You're not supposed to be drawn away by these. You are supposed to set your affections on things above, not on things of the world. That means I want you thinking about the things of the spirit. I want you thinking about what's going on in the long term, not just the temporary things. The Bible says the things that are seen are temporary, but the unseen things, the things of God, they are eternal. The word of God is eternal. Your salvation is eternal. Your faith, it's a spirit. It's eternal. Your peace, it's eternal. It will never leave you. The default position, unfortunately, in man is spiritual death, and the default position is also carnal attraction. Not until one is born again will that dynamic change, and even then, because we own this earth suit, or should I rather say this earth suit owns us, we are subject to the temptations of the world. But Paul here gives us the answer. He says to commit to walking in the spirit, and you will no longer give in to the fleshly desires of your earth suit. Your earth suit comes equipped with its own desires, most of which are sinful. Only God's spirit in us has the ability to tame those desires. But he doesn't do it automatically. Just because we get born again, the Holy Spirit just doesn't dominate our thinking and dominate our actions. No, we partner with him. He won't do it for us. He gave us free will, but we must choose to allow him to work in us. Part of our spiritual responsibility is to learn what is spirit and what is flesh. Yes, believe it or not, that's the easy part. But an even greater responsibility of the spirit is to be able to discern the difference between true and false, right and wrong, light and dark. Carnality, unfortunately, it's rampant in the church. That's like saying that the sun is warm. Our church preaching is very off. The true church doctrines that do make it into the pulpit are countered by the behavior of those preaching them. What do you mean, Ron? Well, 
You can't tell me I've got to live by faith and then close your church when man says close your church. We are obeying man over God. I have no verses that support shutting down our churches, and you won't find any either. God, he's the head of the church, and the church, the pillar and the ground of truth. Nobody shuts us down. I didn't see any verses in the New Testament where the church was shut down, where God said, okay, take a break, or even where he said, go on vacation, church. No, we are a full-time ministry, an operation full-time for the salvation of souls. There is no break. You can't tell me how great grace is, how much better grace is over the law, and then insist on demanding that we follow the law concerning our giving. That's hypocrisy of the highest order. You don't need to be a famous preacher to be covetous. Little guys like me, poor people can be covetous. But they do paint an obvious picture of what greed and covetousness looks like. I'm talking about our big-name preachers. It's so obvious. It's a matter of the heart. And just as we learned, we speak about the things that we love. You can tell where pastors are, where people are, where uh, just anybody that you meet. You can tell where they are just by listening to what they talk about. They talk about the things that they love. How much time is spent on the church offering in Sunday morning? How much time are they spending taking the offering? I know people take 15 and 20 minutes to get the offering in, in comparison to how much time is Jesus mentioned. Whole services go by without ever mentioning Jesus or his return, which we need to be telling people about, or his commandments. Famous preachers, they write books, and Jesus is never mentioned even one time. But when was the last time these folks missed an offering? So the point I'm trying to make is a lot of our leaders have been trapped by the spirit of covetousness. Second Peter 2, 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false arguments and twisted doctrine. Their sentence of condemnation, which God has decreed already from a time long time ago, is not idle, but it's still in force, and their destruction and deepening misery is not asleep, but it's on its way. That's some hard stuff, and he's talking about people that would make, that would manipulate you, that would exploit you, that would make merchandise of you. You know, I don't mind the brothers living well. That's fine. They work hard. I work hard. I'm comfortable. I'm not rich, but I'm comfortable. I don't have needs. And if I did, that God would pop up and he'd meet them. And yet, I don't need a bigger car. I don't need a bigger house. We've got a little house, but it's perfectly comfortable, fine for me and my lady and my dog. Hallelujah. But their spirits are off, and that's the problem. They say we are to live to give, which is correct, while they keep way too much of the money that they get. Truth be told, you're really not supposed to keep uh, much of it at all. That said, it's all right there. Truth is, most of them, they've been trapped and they've been snared by their greed. First Timothy 6, 9. But those who would be rich, those who wish to be rich, those who will to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So once again, just like other things, one sin doesn't come alone. It brings buddies and those who would be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many other lusts. So the desire to be rich brings with it evil company. And once you start falling and getting trapped into this, it's just a downhill slide. It's very difficult to get out of it. The American dream of cars and houses and swimming pools and all sorts of digital toys of um, TVs in every room and two and three car garages you know, that breeds the mindset and it feeds on greed and you've got to be so careful. It's a trapping. It sounds good, the American dream, but that's not the success that we're supposed to be finding. The success is the salvation of your soul, the salvation of your family souls, the salvation of the souls of others. That's true biblical success. That should be where we set our heart. That should be where we set our affections on. 
The Phillips translation of that scripture is real good. For men who set their hearts on being wealthy expose themselves to temptation. I mean, think about it. In Christ, you're in a place of safety. The Bible says God's given his angels charge over you, keep you in all your ways to bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You know, you are protected physically by the angels of God. And the Bible says the peace of God, which passes all understanding, would mount garrison over your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So your heart and your mind, your soul is protected by the peace of God. But once you start worrying about money, not even money that you don't have, but once you start worrying about the money that you do have or any concerns about money or materialism, that is robbing you from your peace. That's what he's talking about when you fall into these hurtful snares and lust. You lose your peace about money. I'm a businessman. I have crisis that I face quite often. And the one thing that God has ministered to me, I will not let any financial situation rob me of my peace. I don't care if I have to suffer loss. I don't care if I have to take the low end. It does not matter. It's not important to me. Money will not take my peace from me. So, Phillips, for men, did I read that whole thing? No. For uh, men who set their hearts on being wealthy, they expose themselves to temptation They fall into one of the world's traps and lay themselves open to all sorts of silly and wicked desires, which are quite capable of utterly ruining and destroying their souls. That's right. Men who set their hearts on carnal success expose themselves. They literally leave themselves wide open to the attacks from Satan. Don't forget, the love of money is the root of all evil. I mean... Okay, divorce. Divorce is evil? Yes. Okay, well, why did that divorce take place? Well, there's a good chance that it was because of the love of money in one form of another that led people to be at opposition to one another. I mean, you can look at a lot of sins in the earth and just try to take it back money. What's ruling the world now? The love of money. I mean, right? Why are we in such a mess in our country? Uh, Because people in power want more power. They want more money. What's going to happen when the Antichrist finally does take rule over our nation after the rapture of the church? He's going to create a one-world government ruled and dictated by a one-world money system. We just recently saw, I know Michelle Bachman was fighting against President Biden's attempt to sign off on giving the community, the medical community of our nation over and put them under the authority of the World Health Organization. So that's our medical community. They'll be coming after your money at some point to put that under the auspices, under the watchful eye of some type of world organization. Just beware, beware. This stuff is all coming down the pike under this current administration. Let's see, where's my scripture? Uh, We have seen it happen in the business world, right, where material success destroys thousands. And now, too, unfortunately, material success or the desire for material success, it's destroying preachers, men of God. It leads to a fierce competition between flesh and spirit till eventually the temptation becomes stronger and stronger. And in most cases, that temptation is going to win out. Following correct doctrine or being led astray by false doctrine is literally a live or die proposition. I said it before, we must have correct biblical doctrines. Heresies damn one to hell. False teaching removes one from the place of safety. And covetous teachers teaching from a spirit of greed will make shipwreck of your faith. I don't care who it is. I don't care how rich or famous or how sweet they are. If they distort or change or alter God's word even a little, even one, for popularity or personal gain, then they are false. I forget who wrote this. I got a quote here, but I forgot to give honor to whom it is, but I'm going to read it. Those who want to get rich 
Literally, this reads, they that will to be rich. Men who keep planning to get rich. This person makes a deliberate choice to accumulate more and more material things in order to be happy and feel successful. Someone has said that much trouble is caused by our yearnings getting ahead of our earnings. My former pastor, John Osteen, Joel's dad, he used to say it like this. God doesn't mind you having money. He minds money having you. And so we see this, you know, our government, they keep on taking more. They keep on throwing money at our problems, whether it's public school system or health care or the border. They throw money at it thinking that it's going to fix it, knowing it's not going to fix it. But they keep on taking more and more and more money and building and building and building and building and never getting anything done because they're out of the will of God. Preachers are doing the same thing. We've got preachers bragging they've got $800 million. Well, what are you doing with $800 million? You're not supposed to keep it. You're supposed to be a conduit. Money in, money out. Give and it shall be given unto you. The worst W-U-E-S-T paraphrase indicates that this desire for more money is not a mere whim or chance or choice, but that in fact they, after giving the matter mature consideration, desire to be wealthy. This is the purposeful choice of life, pursuing gold, not pursuing God. And this is what happens because God will let you go. God wants your heart. He wants it freely. He wants it cheerfully. But when you are fighting with that temptation, gold wins out because God is a gentleman. Gold is a killer. You've got to understand the difference. Albert Barnes says it this way, that there is more emphasis to be placed on the word will, which means want in the New American Standard, here in the phrase, they will be rich, than might be supposed from our translation. Let me get that right. It is not the sign of the future tense that they will in the future be rich, but their desire, their heart is after these material riches. It implies an actual purpose or desire to become rich. The reference is to those in whom this becomes the object of their earnest desire, the desire of their heart. They lay their plans for it. They design their lives to be rich. Matthew Henry rightly reminds us that they want to get rich. Issue, it affects all social classes. You can be rich and still want more. You can be poor and want rich. Either way, it's the desire that is evil. Remember, it's not the money that's evil. It is the love of money. It is attaching the heart that God's given you for people to money. Remember, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. I have the love of God in me for people. If I take that love and I attach it to inanimate objects, I am in trouble. I have missed it. I've abused it. It's counterfeit. And eventually I will be destroyed. J.C. Ryle says it like this. We may love money without having it, just as we may have money without loving it. Let's see. We may love money without having it, just as we may have money without loving it. Interesting. Let's take a quick look at the principle of tithing while I've got six minutes left and see how that comes into play as we research this topic of covetousness. I saw where recently a brother on Facebook, a pastor, he was ragging on Christians for not tithing. You know, so it got me to thinking. Diane and I, we got saved in 1981 at a Word of Faith camp meeting. We are still Word of Faith Christian, but for the most part, that movement has now been turned into another religion where leaders use tithing as a biblical excuse to satisfy their covetous leanings. David Wilkerson, he points out how they manipulate scripture to get you to give, and you've got to be careful about that. You know, like, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom, for with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. That's a scripture, but it's talking about 
the spiritual principle of forgiveness, and yet we use it for money. We take scriptures out of context all the time. Diane and I, we tithed for 40 years. We were dogmatic. We never missed any tithes, and I'm sure we have given several, well, we've given a lot of money into God's work. And no, we are not rich in money, but we have become rich in the Word. We have become rich in works, and we have become rich in the faith. So for us, tithing was a means of obeying God while also receiving financial blessings back, which is nice. But is this New Testament church under the mandate of tithing? One of the favorite scriptures that these people that put you under tithing for is found in Galatians 3.29. And if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. Well, that's nice. I am Christ. Therefore, I am Abraham's seed, and I am an heir according to the promise. But what does that mean? They use that to tell you that you're supposed to go ahead and uh, get you to tithe. You will be told that you have inherited Abraham's blessings, all of them. And you also got them through tithing. After all, if you want the blessings of Abraham, you must also take on the responsibilities of Abraham. And Abraham was a tither. Remember, he gave tithes to Melchizedek. Actually, in the context, all that scripture says is that we Gentiles are now entitled to eternal salvation. That's the blessings he's talking about. He's not talking about God giving the land that he gave to Abraham to you. He's not talking about making you rich because he made Abraham rich. He's talking about the fact that the blessing of salvation is now given to the Gentiles. And we take that out and we try to make all sorts of doctrines out of it because we want to justify the fact that we're going after your money. Some say that Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek and he is, and that creates New Testament precedent for continuing the tithe. If that were true, then why was the law instituted after Abraham to include tithing? If the priestly ministry of Melchizedek just automatically went through his lifetime, went through uh, the law, went into the new covenant, then it would not have been instituted as a specific object of obedience in the law. But they want to use it. They want to get your tithe. So that's what it is. You know, I don't think that I have ever heard a preacher say that the church isn't to tithe. Uh, Whether they believe it or not, I don't think they'll ever say it. Yet in the old book, that's exactly what happened. Let me read you this in Exodus. Remember, they were building the temple and they were asked to bring things to the temple. And let me read it out of the Amplified Exodus 36 verses 4 through 7. And all of the skilled men who were doing all the work on the sanctuary came, each one from the work which he was doing. And they said to Moses, The people are bringing much more than enough for the construction, for much more than the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses issued a command, and it was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the sanctuary offering. So the people were actually restrained. They had to be stopped from bringing anything more, for the material they had was sufficient and more than enough to do all the work. You know, that doesn't happen in our government. We never get enough. They'll look at the tollway. Well, I live in Houston, but the tollway was supposed to be built, and then the money was supposed to be used to pay for public education. And then after that, it was going to be stopped, and you wouldn't have to pay tolls anymore. Well, that was a lie. And now I'm spending a small fortune on tolls. I've got a trailer, and it's like cost me five bucks every time I go to a toll. Our government's the same way. They keep on taking your money and your money and your money and your money. Once you get a price increase, it never goes down. 
And unfortunately, the church is the same way. They've got building programs, and they, they do it, and they get the need met, and then they build. And then they get a bigger building, and they build more, and they build more. And pretty soon, there's no peace anymore because they're all consumed with having to get more. Lust and greed has taken over their hearts. But I wanted to give you that scripture in Exodus where the people were giving beyond what was needed, and they actually were restrained from stopping by Moses. And it's a perfect example of what New Testament grace giving looks like. Second Corinthians 9, 7. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And you are to be a cheerful giver, just like these people in the Old Testament were cheerful givers. And it's so important that we maintain a proper heart. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart. Diane and I... We no longer tithe to a local church body, but that doesn't mean we don't give. We always use tithe 10% as a starting point for our giving. We give beyond that. And we've got such freedom in our giving. I love it. We're having such a wonderful time giving. I love writing these checks, giving cash, helping people out. It's the way God wants our hearts to be concerning giving. I'm Ron Geyer, End Time Insights. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.